0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant. Were harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on.
0: Contact Cordell, Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? You are listening to The Bird Rights here on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. For more breakdowns on The Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes right now, search The Bird Rights, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are recapping another dreadful performance. But we're doing it with our new friend, Daniel Salerson of Black and Blue Report, WRNO, and the Alvin Gentry Show. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me. Of course. Are you by any chance gearing up for a trip to Minnesota this weekend? I am not. I will be performing double duty on Sunday.
2: Though I will be doing Pels and Knicks pregame halftime and postgame show. And then we'll be heading over to the airline and doing the same post-game.
1: I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on.
0: Contact Cordell, Cordell Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
2: I won't be in Minnesota. I'm glad for the extent of how cold it is, but I will be uh, keeping my eye on both teams on Sunday.
0: Well, I hope that it works out in your favor so that it'll be a a much more enjoyable uh, double duty than than, uh, should the the other Uh, side of the coin take place uh daniel by the way is a terrific follow on twitter on top of live tweeting during games and updates to his numerous project you can find live pregame coverage with he and jim eichenhofer on the official twitter handle of the pelicans at pelicans nba daniel uh you mentioned some of the stuff you're going to be handling on sunday talk about some of the the work that you do on a day-to-day basis and your relationship with guys like uh sean kelly jim eichenhofer and alvin gentry who you do radio shows with
2: Yeah, so basically I'm the radio broadcasting manager and studio host for the Pelicans. So all the day-to-day stuff goes into getting ready for a radio broadcast, whether it's the radio spots that we put into the system, all the elements that go in it, rejoin production elements, sponsorship stuff, the content that goes in it, um, along with hosting pregame, halftime, and postgame social. Sean and I work very closely on a day-to-day basis as far as prepping each game, what we want to talk about, the headlines, what sound he wants to use, um, also requires me to go to shoot around practices, get sound that we'll use to cut up or just even listen to and talk about it on certain shows. And then we do produce the Alvin Gentry show where Sean meets with Alvin every week, which one will air uh, tonight on 99.5 WRNO. And we put a 30 minute show together that has features and it recaps the week, um, the last week regarding the games from Thursday to Thursday. And then the black and blue report is a podcast that we produce. Uh, every other day, Monday and Wednesday, are audio versions that I and Sean work on. Sean is the primary host, and I produce it and host some of the time. And then Friday shows are our Facebook Live shows where we'll get on Facebook and talk to a Pelicans player if they're at home, um, and also talk Saints a little bit as well. So and then Jim will also come on our post-game show. For every home game, Jim uh, comes on Pelicans OT and talks with me and takes calls. so uh, Jim and I are very close friends, and uh, we enjoy
0: working with each other. So it, it's a lot of fun, it's a lot of work, but it, it's certainly uh, something I enjoy doing. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you have a whole lot of downtime worked into that week. Can you just say again uh, what time the Alvin Gentry Show takes place tonight? 6.30.
2: Every Thursday it's at 6.30 unless it's a game day. Excellent.
0: All right, Daniel, let's dive right on in. Uh, I'm going to try my best not to get too dark here because uh, we all know there's there's enough storm clouds in New Orleans as it is right now. Going into the offseason, though, we weren't made aware as to the future of Alvin Gentry and Del Demps until midway through May in, in comments made by Mickey Loomis. However, optimism, I think, surged with the acquisitions of players like Ian Clark, Rajon Rondo, Tony Allen, and then the signings uh, or re-signing, I should say, of Dante Cunningham, even Jameer Nelson and Darius Miller. And no one could have predicted Darius Miller was going to be a top 10 shooter. But, but right. while the team has shown flashes and victories of the Pacers, the Spurs, the Thunder, the Nets last week, they've they've largely disappointed, at least in fans' minds, Where do you have the Pelicans now in terms of where you thought they might be back in September when the Pelicans were looking to start the first six weeks of the season without uh, Rajon Rondo and Solomon Hill for potentially the entire season?
3: I thought they'd be
2: a little farther along. I understand that a lot of people thought this is where the team might be just based on national predictions and local predictions and how tough the Western Conference is. But I expected us to be a little farther along because, like you mentioned, we've seen so many spurts of what this team is capable of doing when beating teams like the Thunder, the Spurs, the Cavs, and how the offense has been playing so well. When that was the biggest question mark going into the season, a lot of people talked about the lack of shooting this team had and the concerns. But then you've seen guys like Darius Miller and Etoan Moore step up and now it's the defense that's been primarily the problem. So I, I think we're a little behind from where I would like to be, but a lot of that is based on the consistency of this team and some of the efforts they've been showing lately. There's been games that you have Wolves against the Knicks and the Mavericks, and of course we talk about last night's game against the Grizzlies. If you if you take those away, this could be a team sitting at four or five right now, and I don't think anyone would have predicted that, but it's a shame to think that with those bad losses, you could be higher
0: up in the rankings and have a little more cushion between you and, say, six, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, let's, let's get right down to that right now uh, in terms of disappointing performances uh, against teams like the Knicks that you just mentioned in the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, everybody's talking about effort right now. Scott Kushner's got some tweets up. Of course, he had that article last week. Fans deserve better. Ollie's got some stuff up. And uh, the, the- Basically, the Pelicans were beaten pretty soundly in the paint last night as well as on the boards on both sides of the court. It's become a trend recently to see the, the Pels pour in 60 points in the paint one night and then follow suit with 30 uh, two nights later. Where, in your estimation, do do the dips of effort come from?
2: It's it's a good question. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I think it's the problem with everyone. And, you, and the bad thing, in the problem is you saw last night, I always kind of, in the past few games, or at least in the last week or so, we talk about, okay, I want to see how this team starts off the game because we got the idea in that Mavericks game, the Knicks, and especially against the Timberwolves. When the Timberwolves got off to that 11-3 lead, I knew we were in trouble just based on if you're getting off to these bad starts we haven't been able to recover. But last night you get off to a 38-29 to start and you thought, oh, okay, well, maybe that was a little bit of a wake-up call. This team is going to be all right. But then you saw the performances in the second and third. And some of that was just lack of execution on offense. I thought last night the ball kind of stuck after that first quarter. And team players are just trying to do too much on their own. The ball was not moving. You saw a lack of movement around the perimeter. Guys are standing around. And so that's where the offensive production kind of took a turn for the worst as far as last night. But, but it's so frustrating. And we talk about the effort, too, on the post-game show. And I'm not sure where it comes. I mean, it start, I think it goes from top to bottom. You have to look at guys like Anthony Davis and Cousins and Rondo. You've seen it from them as well. It's, it, it's frustrating because when you look at those Knicks losses and the Mavericks losses and you talk about you know, the effort, if we're talking about it more than one game, why is it continuing to be an issue? And that's something that you know, a lot of people want to place the blame on Alvin, but it shouldn't be on Alvin to motivate these players to go out and do their job. You don't see the Greg Popoviches and the Steve Kerr's. Probably doing motivational film sessions and things like that. No rah-rah speeches to get them up and going. And Alvin Gentry doesn't need to ha- shouldn't have to do that as well. Whether he needs to shake things up for guys that are not putting in the effort, that's another story. Uh, but it, it's so hard to
0: pinpoint why the effort isn't there, and it's only something these players have to answer. I picked out something that you said there. You said a problem for everyone, and I really want to expand on that because uh, uh, just a couple of the numbers from last night's matchup, the Pelicans were held to to nine points in the third quarter uh, against a Grizzlies team that is last in the West, having lost 23 of their past 28, and fans and media alike are are coming after the Pelicans for these performances. However, in the past week, I've spoken with experts in other markets like Orlando And and uh, Washington and Cleveland. And these guys have head coaches like Scott Brooks, Ty Lue, Frank Vogel, you know, guys who have been in the league for a long time. And and many people would have on the same, uh, I don't know, footing as somebody like an Alvin Gentry. Uh, And but the point is, all these experts have have likewise pointed to their team's consistency and effort as the largest detriments to their respective team successes. Daniel. Is is consistent effort over an eighty two game schedule too difficult a thing to ask for? Is this is this a bigger problem across the association than just the New Orleans Pelicans?
2: I mean, it, it certainly can be, but the problem is is with the Pelicans it's been happening a little too much. I get I would understand a couple of games where you say, Okay, man, you just whether it's the second night of a back to back or three and four nights where you just come out with no energy because you're tired or you just have that one clunker where Let's say the Memphis, you know, blew you out of the water. Yeah, they outshot you by so much. Um, look at the Kings game. Maybe look at Zach Randolph just having his career night from downtown. they like, okay, that stuff happens. But it's happened five or six times with the Pelicans. And, yes, I think it's a trend that's going on across the NBA. But when your team is with as much talent as the Pelicans, you just really can't afford to have nights like that. I don't think you see that as much with the teams that are at the top of the standings where they might have a game or two where you're like, what what was that? And I get it. I mean, look at the Nuggets. The Nuggets went through that last night where Mike Malone was calling out his team for the same effort issues when falling to the Hawks. But I think the Pelicans have had too many of those lately. Especially when you have two on back-to-back nights, there's really no excuse. And look at the Minnesota game. Minnesota was coming off a back-to-back from Boston. Pelicans were sitting in Minnesota for three days straight. There should be no reason why the Timberwolves come out with more energy. It looked like the Pelicans were the team coming off the back-to-back. So, yeah, it might be a problem across the NBA, but talk about consistency right now one of the consistent things right now unfortunately is the effort with this team and so I think that needs to turn around um not only around the league
0: but I mean the Pelicans are are the biggest culprit of it yeah and the figurehead behind that effort uh in most people's minds probably the most like polarizing topic for a New Orleans Pelicans fans is is DeMarcus Cousins uh he fills up the box score with the best of them with with 28 and 9 last night but but many will point to the fact that he took more threes than rebounds collected. He, he made a crucial mistake on that second to final possession where he did something we're we're all too familiar with, where he tried to dribble penetrate into multiple defenders and ended up just losing a handle. He has eight technicals on the year and he's one of the more divisive and polarizing figures, not just in new Orleans, but overall in the NBA, some people have him ranked ahead of uh, Anthony Davis in the MVP voting. What, what is your overall perspective on Boogie? What's your take on him and his fit here in new Orleans?
2: Well, I think he fits here very
0: well as far as the type of player that he is. I thought
2: when he and Anthony Davis have been on the floor together, they've been fantastic, and you've seen plenty of games where both of them have been scoring 30 points. They score 60 or 70 by themselves, and help the Pelicans get some wins. But it, all, it is the little things that are starting to creep up on not only him, but the team that's hurting them. We talk about the transition defense. Well, a lot of that is because, unfortunately, DeMarcus does not get back on defense, whether he's complaining about a call or just not getting back after missing a shot and so that causes so much issues on the other end where team's playing a lot of four on five and then we've had one of the worst transition defenses in the league and it's it, you just see that and you talk about the play last night that second to last play just the turnovers I mean he leads the league in turnovers that's been hindering him almost five a game and the three-pointers I, I don't mind him taking threes I mean he was five of eight last night so it's hard to argue with that but I'm more of a fan of Boogie hanging out down low more than he is up top. If it's just him standing up top most of the game waiting for a three, that's where we have a problem. In a game like last night, when we had no Anthony Davis. It was so important for Boogie to get down low because when he did get down low, he was getting to the foul line. He had 17 free throw attempts last night, um, but only 30 points in the paint. I felt like if Cousins was down low more last night, he could have dominated a little bit more. But then if you look at the counterpoint to that, well, without his big threes in the fourth quarter, the Pelicans aren't even in this game. So I like the fit that Cousins has with this team, but it's the little things that are really hurting them right now, whether it's getting back on defense, the arguing with the calls, the attitude a little bit. It's tough, but you got to just determine what outweighs what. Does the talent outweigh some of the issues that you're dealing with, or
0: is it something that's going to continue to be a problem if the Pelicans keep being so inconsistent? Yeah, and it was a, a pretty important possession. The the Pelicans overall have had difficulty executing offensively in the fourth quarters. There's something like 24th in scoring, somewhere uh, near the bottom five in the league in fourth quarter scoring. And part of that is due to this, like, dribble-penetrating ISO ball. And And the question yeah. becomes... Is, is that a play that's drawn up by Alvin Gentry? Is that something where DeMarcus Cousins sort of freelances? We've heard Alvin Gentry in the past say that if Rajon Rondo wants to run a play and waves off Alvin Gentry, then he wants the players to have the freedom to, you know, to see the floor and, and take advantage of whatever matchups they see. Do you think that's a scenario where DeMarcus Cousins is just freewheeling? Or or do you think that could have possibly been drawn up and and it just got thwarted by a good defense? I would say it's more the
2: first than the latter. I think it's more of just, the players get away from it there have been plenty of times where you see after a play was not executed well whether it's at a timeout or late situations that alvin back at the bench yelling at his player just because of the lack of execution there are certain times that even whether it's Drew holly or demarcus where i don't think last night that play was drawn up for demarcus cousins to dribble penetrate down i think you saw darius miller wide open for a three one i don't think that was not the goal to get a three you're only down it by one at that point i think they wanted to get it to boogie down low I think Boogie was at least supposed to pass at that point and then maybe get back to him down in the post. So there are, I think, times where Alvin's drawing up something the player's are not executing it. I think it could be a little bit of Alvin, too, drawing up some of these. I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah, I think it's sometimes where the players are just unable to execute some of these plays that Alvin is drawing up out of the timeout.
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the depths of darkness one more time, and then I promise we'll get a a bit more positive. (laughs) Uh, Just, just some stuff that's, that's been on Twitter today. I just want to make sure this stuff gets heard. Uh, uh, Scott from uh, the advocate wrote, this is the season of urgency. It looks anything like it predictably dreadful efforts nearly every other night. It's the midpoint of the season. Something needs to be shaken up the lineup, the roster, the bench, the coach, something. This is Scott Kushner of the advocate who had fans deserve better last week. And Ali Cosell, our editor, uh, had a great article today. He said, One cannot continue to overlook the mounting evidence of disparaging performances, lack of passion, and absence of assertive leadership from on the court to among the highest levels of management and overship. There's so much riding on the success of this season that maybe it's time to seriously contemplate a shakeup somewhere, anywhere within the New Orleans organization. And I could go on and on with stuff. Uh, This was all over Twitter last night. Everybody is obviously and noticeably frustrated with what's been going on this season. What what do you do here, Daniel? Do you do you fire Alvin Gentry and you try putting Darren Herman at the helm, or do you do you try to just let it ride out? There's there's still a soft schedule coming up. It doesn't really heat up until after the All-Star break in early March where the strength of schedule uh, goes way up. Do, do you let these guys ride it out? Do you give them the opportunity to right the ship?
2: I think you give them the opportunity. I think it's a little too early to start talking about whether a coach gets fired or not, and even if so. Uh, I'm not going to be the one that calls out a coach for getting fired just based on my position. Um, but you look at this team they're twenty and twenty right now they're one game ahead of ninth they're also just a game to back game and a half back of fifth. I'm not opposed to shaking things up, but maybe you do so within the lineup, whether it's a benching of someone, whether it's giving someone a little bit more minutes or whether it's during the game. If we see another one of these games where the Pelicans come out very flat, then Alvin Gentry doing a hockey shift change. And all five of the starters coming out, and some of them, and having the bench guys come out, maybe provide a spark. Not sure that's even the best idea with the lack of bench we have with some of the injuries right now. But I think it's okay to say that something needs to be shaken up. There has to be a fire lit under these guys at some point. There has to be that wake up call. And I thought maybe after some of those losses to the Mavericks or the Knicks, that you or even the Timberwolves, you think this team, I would assume, will take that as something that they can use. In the future, as far as not having those games where they lapse in effort and intensity and all that, so maybe this last night was the chance for them to have that wake-up call and I'm not sure if you it, I mean it does I think it goes from top to bottom as far as the responsibility, but I'm not sure changing your coach right now really solves anything at this point. I think it's on these players I think a lot of people want to you know put the blame on Alvin and I get some of the blame because it's frustrating for uh, guys like us too that that work for this team and want this team to succeed. But you have to start on the players as well. When it comes to effort and it comes to the intensity and it comes to attacking and actually going and using the game plan during the game, I think it's been a problem for these Pelicans players. And it's all on them. This is what they get paid to do. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's not other coaches giving them rah-rah speeches stuff to motivate them. It starts with them and ends with them. And so I think if there's going to be a shakeup, maybe it's Cousins, maybe it's Davis, maybe it's Rondo, players only meeting. Or one of them taking charge, whether it's in a huddle during a timeout or in the locker room at halftime, just raising their voices and using their voices to vent their frustration and say, hey, guys, we have a chance to do something special here. We're a game and a half out of fifth. We have a chance to be a good playoff team, but we can't have performances like this. And that could also start with the head coach. It could start with the GM. It has to start somewhere, though. That conversation has to be had. But I don't
0: think changing up the coach right now is the real is the real solution. Let me ask you this. Um, uh, This, this is just my own personal perspective in the 2014, 15 season. I thought the Pelicans got such a jolt of, of energy and communication from Quincy Pond. Dexter. He just really seemed like, like the guys responded well to him. They seem more energized during timeouts, and that just might be my own uh, revisionist history. But but this season, they don't really have that guy. Everybody points to, you know, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins as the guys that they would like to step forward as the three best players, the three guys that they want to have locked up long-term. And then after them, you've got the the floor general, the commander in chief, whatever title you want to give him, and Rashawn Rondo, who's been uh, benched for some poor defense, some lapses in judgment on that end of the floor. Uh, rightly so as Ali Cosell wrote at thebirdrights.com and then you've got guys like like Tony Allen who just uh, had his setback to his broken fibula Uh, whether or not you think he's diminishing at the age of 35 he always gives energy he gives that consistent effort he's not afraid to get into guys ears and likewise you've got Solomon Hill who's kind of the same guy a guy who you know for all of his uh, deficiencies offensively he's a he's a try hard type player do you think that that these are the kind of guys that the Pelicans need to take the next step forward? And if so, who do you think is the guy who takes up and accepts that role?
2: That's a good question. I I think there needs to be that guy. And I think, honestly, Anthony Davis needs to be that guy. I know he's just 24, but I still think he's learning how to lead. But this would be the perfect time. Look, this is his team. I know he has the Marcus Cousins next to him. But this is Anthony Davis' team. And there needs to be a – maybe that's him that has this conversation with these guys, that lightning bolt that can help guys and motivate guys and get guys on the same page. Because you're right. I don't think this team really has one right now. I was wondering that last night. Where are we going to see something on the bench where a guy, you know, goes off on his teammates going, look, after that nine-point third quarter, who's who's stepping up in that locker room? Who, who's giving that pep talk? Who's motivating these guys? And I'm not sure if we have anyone that's doing that right now. But I think Anthony Davis is one. But as the star of this team, maybe he's the one that needs to step up a little bit. And I get it. He's a young guy, and I don't know if that's in his demeanor to be that guy that leads the team but at some point you're the star and I think it starts with him as far as maybe being that guy or maybe that's something that one of the aspects of going at the trade deadline for dealt them you know I don't think he's gonna make a huge splash as far as getting a superstar at the deadline but you could get that guy that could be that spark off the bench or that veteran presence that can maybe help some of these guys that have really not been in this position before Anthony Davis has only been in the playoffs once since he's been in the league Not a lot. DeMarcus Cousins has not been in the playoffs at all since he's been. Rondo probably needs to be that guy as well since he's been here for so long and knows what it takes to win a championship. But I think Anthony Davis is the one that maybe could be the guy that he can be the voice of reason in this locker room.
0: Uh, You mentioned Anthony Davis, and and I want to ask you about that Adrian Wojnarowski article that came up a couple of weeks ago. And our first initial reaction to it was that, oh my goodness, the clock is ticking. He mentioned winning in the article 22 times. He mentioned the culture in places like San Antonio. He mentioned the, the trade of Isaiah Thomas and how he went into Del Demps' office and asked if he was on his way to Boston. Obviously, uh, raising a lot of concerns in Pelicans fans that maybe Anthony Davis already has his eye on, on greener pastures. One thing that I want to get your take on is, How does a report like that, and a national article with, uh, I don't know, one of the foremost uh, guys in our industry, and Adrian Wojnarowski, how does that affect players? in, in the Pelicans locker room, obviously DeMarcus Cousins has been really candid. He's been like, these guys understand they, you know, they give me jokes, but they ultimately want me here. Uh, they joked over the offseason that Anthony Davis offered to buy Drew Holiday a house and, and it all seems good natured and like it's in, in good fun. But when, when guys see an article like this, that, that somebody is nervous and possibly has like, you know, one foot out of the pool. How, how do you think that affects the other players in the Pelicans locker room?
2: Well, I mean, he he touches on wanting to win, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that as far as how it affects the locker room. He's basically talking about, yeah, the culture is different in some other places and he wants to be a part of that, but he wants to do it here. And so I'm not sure if it was more of a locker room thing where guys might take that the wrong way. I just think he wants to build that culture here and he wants to do so in the Pelicans uniform, you know. I don't I don't think he legitimately wants to go anywhere. I know he was probably asking about that stuff with Boston cuz he legitimately doesn't want to leave. And so I don't think it really affects the locker room too much. I think it's something that I think AD is sick of losing and that's to put it bluntly, but I think it's true that he's wanting to make the next step. And I think that's the thing that he has to have that conversation with Dell that are we heading in the right direction? Is this direction this team is going in? And if it's one that's going to build closer to a championship, if not, that's when Anthony Davis will might have that conversation of possibly leaving. But right now, I don't think he wants to go anywhere. I just think he wants to win because he saw the taste of the playoffs in 2014-15 and he loved being there, but he got swept in the first round by Golden State. And I would hope that would make maybe be the motivation for them to try to get something other than the eighth seed this year Well being only a game and a half back of fifth. Then that's why I go back to Anthony Davis as being that leader that maybe he steps up and says, guys, we have a chance to do something other than being the eighth seed and going out to Golden State in the first round. I don't think it affects the locker room as far as what that that article say. I think he just wants to win with these guys, and maybe it starts with him as far as building that culture that he desperately wants.
0: All right, let's let's we've been dark long enough. Let's look at the bright side of things. The Pelicans in the past I want to say 6 games after uh beating the the Brooklyn Nets and achieving the best three-point percentage in the NBA, they've they've kind of fallen off a cliff since then, averaging somewhere around 29%. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but uh inevitably they're gonna bounce back. They've got great shooters in Darius Miller, Etoan Moore, these guys have been lights out. Anthony Davis uh has his uh, career high in three-point percentage, he's sitting around 39%. Oh, the the numbers have to go back up, don't they, Daniel?
2: I, w- I would think so. And I think the, o- the other thing is, is when we saw how good the numbers are, the question was, were they going to be able to sustain that? And you're starting to see now that they're not being able to sustain it. But I think they can keep at a really good rate as far as their three-point shooting. Etwan Moore struggled a little bit after having one of the hottest Decembers in the NBA, I think leading the league in three-pointers made in three-point percentage. And actually, at one point, the Pelicans were leading the league and three-point percentage. Darius Miller has cooled off a little bit. Both those guys last night were 3 of 13 combined, but you saw Spurs where Darius was making a three-pointer in, what, 17, 18 consecutive games, and then you talk about Anthony Davis um, having a career high in shooting. I think it it can get back to what it was. I'm not sure if it's going to get back all the way to being number one, but especially for what Pelicans or what we thought uh, was going to be maybe a poor shooting team, where the shooting was going to be one of the question marks heading into this season, the fact that it is gone well despite the lull in the last six games i think it's really encouraging i think it can't get back to there maybe if you get ian clark 10 points last night 19 minutes he's been kind of inconsistent as far as his shooting but if you get him going maybe that's something that they go out for more at the deadline too i think this team will be okay with the shooting i'm not too concerned about that even drew holiday is capable of shooting the three rondo even hit a couple last night i'm not too worried about the three-point shooting i think they'll be okay
0: uh, I've got a two-part question for you. One is the the health of Solomon Hill. We've seen setbacks to Tony Allen, and we've seen the corresponding moves that go with them in DeAndre Liggins. And Adrian Wojnarowski uh, started up the trade deadline about a, a month early. It's not until February 8th. But he mentioned that the 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 Pelicans are involved in in talks with guys like Kent Bazemore, Evan Fournier, Damari Carroll. And I know from uh, sources in Orlando that the the Magic would be very willing to move Evan Fournier for a first-round pick, especially one that's unprotected. And I, I just have to ask, first, what's what's the health of Salmon Hill? Do you think he's on track to be back at some point in mid-February? And secondly, how likely do you think it is, whether or not he comes back, that the Pelicans make a move for one of these guys?
2: I think you'll see Solomon Hill, like you said, in mid-February. I think that's realistic to say that he is right on track and is being shoot a little bit. Um, so I think after the All-Star break, you'll start to see the wheels get in motion as far as maybe him being limited minutes. And things like that. As far as making a move, it could possibly be like that. I don't know if they're going to make a splash like an Evan Fournier. And then you go back to the question of, you know, your worth as your your first round picks. I mean, Dell's been a guy that has used his first round pick to acquire talent. You look at it with Drew Holiday, look at it with Omer Asik, and look at it with Demarcus Cousins. At what point do you want to try to save some of your draft picks for your future um, for your future team? Because this is a team that really hasn't had a first round pick in a long time. Um, I'm not sure. And it also depends on where you are in the standings. If you're hovering around six, seven, eight, I mean, do you make that big splash? But then what are realistic expectations? Are you going to try to make that move to 4 or 5? And looking at how deep the West is as far as top-heavy, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Spurs, is jeopardizing a first-round pick worth it um, as far as moving it up maybe one spot in the standing? So I think a move is definitely something that could happen, and they could be buyers at the deadline. But to what extent is a big question mark? I'm not sure if it is. Getting a guy like DeMar Carroll or Evan Fournier and you coughing up your first round pick again. Maybe it's something a little smaller where you're giving a younger guy like a Check Diallo out for someone with more veteran presence in another wing just to solidify when and he'll it back. But it, it's too early to tell. I, I, I think it's going to depend on how these, these few weeks go. And like you said, it's a very winnable month for New Orleans after tomorrow, a big game against Portland. You're on the road for three, but New York is a team you owe one to. You have Boston, which will be tough, and then you're at Atlanta. But then Memphis, Chicago at home, Charlotte struggled. You're on the road there. And then you finish off the month with three at home, Houston, L.A., and Sacramento. But unfortunately, the Pelicans haven't really done a good job of taking care of home court advantage. So until they prove otherwise, it's not a guarantee that they're going to have that success at home. But the, I guess the bright spot has been they've played pretty decent on the road. Now they got to step up uh, in front of the home fans in
0: some of the King Center. I know you don't like to make predictions, Daniel. And I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, do you? How, how confident are you that the Pelicans bounce back and, and I don't know, have like a, a 70 point, uh, 70% win percentage in the month of February and, and kind of just bounce back, right the ship, uh, and prepare for that, that really tough test that's going to be the final five weeks of the season?
2: I mean, they're going to have to prove to me before I can predict how well they're going to do in the month of January as far as a 70% winning percentage. I will say they are capable of doing that, but I'm not going to sit here and say I feel confident that they will just based on what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. If you see how they play against Orlando, Miami, Brooklyn in those three wins in a row, then yeah, I think they have a good shot. But they've been so inconsistent lately, winning alternating wins and losses. So if they keep at that pace, no, I'm not really that confident that they can. Um, I need them to prove to me this week that this is just more than a one-game thing. Like if let's say they beat Portland tomorrow night and beat them pretty well, then okay, let's see if they can take it on the road and win a couple games in a row. That's what I want to see out of this team. I'm not so concerned about finishing. or 700 percentage in, in January or winning 70% of the games, whatever I'm more concerned about. Can they string two or three or four wins together in a row and get a little bit of consistency and get a little bit of that cushion. So that's what I want to see right now. If if you ask me that, what you did, I would say, no, I'm not confident right now, but they need to prove to me that they are capable of doing
0: so, which they are. One team who has proven that they are capable of doing that is the New Orleans Saints. Although we saw published today that they have uh, twenty or twenty-one players on injured reserve, including ten uh, potential starters. Daniel, do do you feel confident with the New Orleans Saints going up to Minnesota on Sunday? I mean, it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good matchup. You have one of the best
2: offenses in the league against one of the top defenses in the league, and I think what gives you confidence is having number nine under center. You're facing a guy like Case Keenum who's had a, a hell of a season, plenty of Better numbers than one season than he did with uh, the Rams um, last couple of years in, uh, in the Texans, excuse me, those two teams. So, but Case Keem doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, if any. I don't know how many games he started. I think maybe one in the playoffs last year. Um, but he doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. And you have number nine there for the Saints. I think if the Saints can get that running game going, which struggled a little bit last week. But the Panthers also did a good job, and they have a good run defense. But whenever you're trying to make number nine pay, it's it's risky because you know what Drew Brees can do. Um, I, I do think they can go in there and, and beat him. There's no reason why they can't. Um, it's just going to be a tougher opponent. You have the Vikings who are averaging just 12 points per game. So that defensive line is really stout. And then you have Xavier Rhodes who's going to match up against Michael Thomas. So if you can make other guys step up like Ted Ginn or Brandon Coleman, then yeah, I can see the Saints going past Minnesota
0: and advancing the NFC Championship. But I think it's going to be a really good matchup on Sunday. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful job. Of course, you guys can find him on the Black and Blue Report, the Alvin Gentry show six thirty every Thursday on W R N O. And uh also uh check on Twitter, Pelicans NBA at Pelicans NBA. You can see some stuff with him and Jim Eichenhofer, pregame and stuff. And of course, he mentioned on Sunday he's also going to be doing stuff for the Saints. Uh Daniel, did I miss anything? Anything else you want to tell our listeners?
2: Nope. I appreciate everyone that does listen to the p- post-game show and calls in. I encourage more of you. The call in. We can have the conversations, good or bad. I like having the dialogue. Um, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: Of course, man. We'd love to do it again. Awesome stuff. No matter what I threw at you. You had a wonderful responses. I tried to throw you under the bus a couple of times, but you wouldn't let me. And I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. No problem. Now it's time to preview tonight's matchup with the Blazers with David McKay, award-winning journalist and news editor to Blazers Edge. This is his second time on our show. Thank you for taking the time, sir.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Of course, man. Excited to talk some Blazers with you, not talk about the Pelicans for a change. <laughs> uh, you guys make sure to follow him at David Mac That's M-A-C-K-A-Y-N-B-A. Are you going to be live tweeting during the game, by the way, David?
3: Uh, we'll see. I'm typically around. All
0: right, in case he's not, follow at Blazers Edge tomorrow night, or I should say tonight, because that's when the pod's going up. Uh, David, the Blazers have won three of four with two wins coming against the Spurs and the Thunder before losing to Chris Paul and the Rockets last night. Uh, They currently sit at the fifth seed with the Thunder, the Nuggets, and the Pelicans all within a game and a half uh, or less. What's what's working right now for these guys?
3: Well, right now they're kind of rediscovering the offense with uh, Damian Lillard missing several of those games. And it's interesting because – It's mostly guys who are stepping up and being more aggressive and there's more focus on movement. I like to use the analogy that uh, a while back I broke my right hand and I learned to shoot left-handed. And some of my friends said that, you know, my form was better. Obviously, I wasn't a better player, but I was thinking a lot harder about being more precise and doing what I was supposed to do. And that's exactly what's happening with the Blazers. You know, they lost their dominant player and they're having to really think about how they function. And it's worked really well for them, especially with guys like Baz stepping up and providing extra scoring. Hey, oh, okay. in, <laughs>
0: so, so what you're saying, uh, I read a statistic on uh, one of these sites, it was either Rip City or Blazers Edge, that you guys are 30th in the NBA in assists right now. But with Shabazz Napier and CJ McCollum uh, taking more duties with Damian Lillard out with his calf strain, uh, they went up in assists. Uh, Napier was averaging somewhere over four and a half. and a half, and McCollum was somewhere around six in Dane's absence. Are you trying to tell me that the Blazers are better without Damian Lillard?
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they, they play a better team basketball, though. They're certainly moving it around. And uh, scoring is coming from places you wouldn't expect. And you've got guys, like I say, like Baz has been huge. CJ's been huge. Conaton's doing his part. And really, we're just seeing them rely more on uh, finding the open man. And just everyone being locked in because when damien's out there you can end up with people floating occasionally and not really focused on well i mean it's an nba game they're out there focused but you know they know that they're not a part of that possession and in this time you know the ball's going here 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 and uh they're definitely um more deliberate with how they play i'd say yeah you make it
0: seem like it's it's uh it's so nonchalantly you said they're nba players of course they're focused but uh you you wouldn't believe it there there's a couple of nba teams that aren't always focused for 48 minutes on a nightly <laughs> basis but we won't talk about that tonight uh you a guys, couple pelicans games <laughs> not just them i was talking to guys from the wizards the cavaliers the orlando uh-huh. magic without fail every single person i talk to complains about uh about focus and effort and complacency and it's it's just going around at this point we're at the midway point of the season and I'm, I'm sure it's a it's a long road getting to April. So uh, a bunch of these guys are just uh, pumping the brakes just a little bit uh, and getting ready for that for that big push coming March. I guess uh, we should say. Let's talk a bit more about the Blazers though. Twenty two and nineteen, as we said, fifth seed. They're twelve and nine on the road, ten and ten at home. Before I ask about the season as a whole, would you say that you guys are are playing better on the road this season, or is this just a small sample size?
3: Uh, well, at this point, it's it's not a small sample size, but I'd say that the, the variation between home and road isn't large enough to say they're definitively better on the road. I think part of it is a schedule, you know, we've played um, some softer stretches on the road here and there, but, you know, obviously not this current stretch. Um, But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I just don't feel that they're being as dominant at home as they have been in years past. So it's probably a little closer to even. I gotcha. Now, as we mentioned, uh, I've mentioned it twice now, fifth seeded Blazers.
0: Uh, Just talk about where the Blazers are at this point in their development at the midseason mark in terms of where you anticipated they would be back in, let's say, early October.
3: You know, it's strange because it's it's all about defense right now. And I would not have expected to be sitting here in January and say, like, the biggest development is that they're finding their offense. You know, that's that hasn't been their issue for the past several seasons. But that's about where they are is they're a pretty solid defensive team. And in order to put things together, they really need to be consistent on the offensive end. And, you know, with with Damian back, I think they'll continue to do what they did while he was out and be more aggressive. But uh, we'll see if they actually turn the corner or if they're kind of a a good team that's about to reveal themselves as great or if they're the kind of of middle-of-the-road team that's going to play to what you expect. Talk a bit more about that. Uh, You mentioned the
0: Blazers have kind of flipped their role from last season. Uh, This year, they sit 24th in offensive rating and seventh defensively with a roster that's pretty much identical to that of last year, although you guys got Nurkic around the trade deadline and then lost him for somewhere around the last 10 games of the year. So it was uh, slightly different. But why is this team playing so differently on the season as a whole with really just the loss of Alan Crabb? Is there anybody I'm missing?
3: No, that's about right, but I'd say part of it is that you know their defense was a lot better after they got Nurkic, but that was such a small selection of their games last year that their overall defensive rating last year was uh, fairly abysmal by comparison to when they did have him. I don't have the numbers in front of me to tell you exactly what it was, Um, but having him in the paint to kind of really force opponents into worse shots, or at least to have him prowling really does help quite a bit, and then... There was a huge, huge push by stots in the preseason. That was all they worked on every single day of uh, uh, training camp. Sorry, I lost my words for a second there. They – defense all day long, all day long. And so they've been improved there. And then some of that is that, you know, you expend energy on that end and you get a little lackadaisical on the offensive side of things. But uh, biggest thing is the addition of Nurkic. And like you said, losing Alan Crabb um, wasn't nothing. I mean, we have a team now that was known for its offense that now has maybe three to four strong shooters, tops. I mean, Farouk has had an interesting year from beyond the arc, but I don't see that lasting. And then outside of that, you have Damian, CJ, Baz, and Connaughton when he's in, which is not crazy often. So uh, that's been a part of it, is their offense, which used to be – based around shooting and I'd say it's still based around shooting just doesn't have the shooters anymore uh talk a bit more about Nurkic
0: in the paint uh he's been drawing a lot of flagrant fouls this year uh first of all what what is the cause for this and do you think he maybe uh, gets one or two out of boogie t-
3: tonight oh well putting plainly he's a flopper and people like to hit him I mean that's, <laughs> that's just what I see when I look because I remember that uh that one on LeBron, where LeBron kind of like swung the ball or something, and he didn't get hit. There was no contact, but he flailed backwards, and then he—I think it was was it Jeff Green—he hit his head on his hands, and there was like a little bit of blood. And people were like, "Oh, LeBron sure clocked him there." And it's like, no, he's he's quite a thespian. He's uh, good at embellishing sometimes to the point where there's not much going on, and then he creates something going on. But he does take actual hits, and. uh some of that is just he's occupying a part of the floor where people are going to be using brute force a lot. So, you know, if he's getting into the play, he's probably going to take some contact. And if he's being himself, he's probably going to exaggerate it.
0: All right. Now, uh, just for our Pelicans fans, uh, we we don't need to expect a 99 to 98 finish. The Blazers in the past five games Uh, have been scoring a bit more at 112.8 offensive rating. Plus, they're playing against one of the worst defenses in the NBA. So not necessarily going to expect them to score under 100 points uh, tonight. Let's talk a bit more about your bench. You mentioned Pat Connaughton. Uh, Mo Harkless is somebody who's a divisive topic uh, for national media types because everybody expects, especially with his contract, that he'd get more playing time than he's gotten this year. And he has had some productive games like the 22 points that he scored against the Lakers uh, about two or three weeks ago. But right after that game, he played uh, about an average of 18 minutes for four games. And then he even got a couple of DNPs. What's going on with Mo Harkless this year?
3: Well, you mentioned players that kind of float in and out of consciousness on the court. And I'd say that's he's the closest to what the Blazers have for that. A lot of his issues have been uh, motor related, I would say um and I think that's his own admission I'd have to think back to when that was exactly but uh yeah part of it too is that Stotts is really playing with the lineups trying to make sure he has spacing trying to make sure he has defense and the Blazers don't really have a two-way player at the three so we see a lot of guys cycle in and out of that small forward spot and it's hard to establish a rhythm when you're coming in for five minutes and then you're going out or maybe you're starting one game and you're on the bench the next and so Part of his consistency issues have stemmed from inconsistency with his role, and part of it has just been that he's not keyed in every night. And with that contract being, you know, I think it's $10 million a year for four years, four years, $40 million? I think that's right. Um, you know, he's interesting because in a consistent role, he could be good. And I think that's why Portland retained him. Um, It makes him an interesting trade chip if the Blazers want to try and shed salary, because again, if someone's willing to put him in a consistent role, he could have value, but it's just been flashes and that's not been great
0: some guys we saw earlier in the season haven't been getting a whole lot of playing time lately. And I'm not sure if it's injury related. I'm talking about Noah Vonley Myers Leonard, who who had a random sighting against DeMarcus cousins earlier. I think the game was back in early November and Jake Lehman uh, or not Jake Lehman. I should say Caleb Swanigan. Uh, Why haven't these guys been getting a whole lot of run lately? Is it just because at the beginning of the season, you guys were suffering some
3: injuries? Well, Caleb's been with the G league. Um, he's just trying to get minutes while, you know, there aren't any for him on the floor. And then Von ley I would say, has just sort of fallen out of favor, as happens with coaches who are trying to figure out what works best, which has been an ongoing process for Portland this year. I think he'll uh, he'll come back in. Myers uh, has been injured for quite a while. I think he's doing better now. But he um, – gosh, was that his hand? might have been his hand. He, he's had so many injuries, especially – in the last like two or three seasons, I know his shoulder was a huge issue. His back was a huge issue. So, Leonard, <laughs> it's he's so polarizing in Portland because so many people absolutely loathe him. And I think it's part of his uh, sort of personality as like this pretty boy Instagram husband type of guy. Um, and part of it is that he's never played up to his contract. but. He's been missing with injuries for quite a while. So it, it, part of that, too, is, you know, narrowing down the rotation to something consistent and something that works. And we're starting to see Portland hone in on that. And guys like Myers Leonard and Caleb Swanigan are being left with the, the wayside, not to mention Jake Lehman, who uh, you didn't intend to bring up, but perhaps is fitting in that category as well. Uh, let's talk about some of the bench guys that we are going to see tonight. Let's talk about Zach
0: Collins, Ed Davis, Shabazz Napier, and Pat Connaughton. Obviously, Shabazz was was playing pretty well in Dame's spot, Zach Collins being the first-round pick that you guys gave up your 15th and 20th picks to move up to
3: 10 to select. Uh, talk about those guys and their production as of late. Oh, Collins has actually looked a lot better, which is interesting because, you know, when we got him, I was a little bit confused. I guess uh, I, I thought that uh, – It was sort of packaging to trade up for someone that no one's really bidding against you for. And he's, you know, he'll be a project, but he's looking a lot more aware on the court, which is helpful that he's not just a defensive liability and a foul sponge. You know, he's actually rounding into an NBA player. And Baz, man, like he has always been great for us. And that's one of those things where I personally feel like on a lesser team, he could be a starting point guard or at the very least a high-end backup wherever he ends up next year. I think he'll be in RFA this summer. Um, But he's always been more talented than the role he's had in Portland, and people are seeing a little bit of that now when he got to start for Damien. He's going out there and being really impressive.
0: And now we've got Damian Lillard back after missing a couple of games with the calf strain. I mentioned that Shabazz Napier was starting in his place, and you guys have been passing the ball a bit more effectively with something you mentioned. But he is back now, and we do anticipate him to play tonight. He played on Wednesday against the Rockets, and a popular story, he scored 29 points, got eight assists and five rebounds in 32 minutes and and the big the big story of this was the Rockets ended up winning 121 to 112 I think at the time the score was 119 to 112 the the clock was ticking down the game was about to end and Chris Paul took it upon himself to race down the court and get an easy layup with CJ McCollum and in, in close pursuit and Dame got really upset about it and he rushed up to Chris Paul after the play and he said I just asked What did you get out of that? He said, y'all wasn't guarding, but we got back. There was two guys back. We got back. He was sprinting the court to get the layup and CJ was chasing him. I just felt like in that situation, if you've got to do that uh, to go get the layup, what's the point? Uh, talk talk a bit about that and seeing the, the the more fiery side of Dame. We we know that uh, CJ got that that famous I think it was like a hundred and sixty five thousand dollar fine for for stepping off the bench in the first game of the year. Talk about Dame's uh, explosion both offensively and at Chris Paul on Wednesday night.
3: Well, it's sort of an unwritten rule, as you know, that you don't run up the score if the game's already you know unofficially over. And that's something that Damian himself got in trouble for as a rookie. I remember he dunked it against Chicago and Taj Gibson got in his face about it. Uh, And to see that from a 13-year veteran, like, yeah, it's not something that's not allowed, but it's certainly frowned upon. And it's definitely disrespectful. So I understand why Dame was upset, especially after uh, losing. I mean, nobody likes to lose. So he went over to Chris and uh, I think got in his ear about it, like you said. But, you know, it was nice to see him come back and have a really good game, even though uh, Chris Paul had a better one, I would say. Yeah, I guess
0: that's fair. Uh, okay, let's let's get down to predictions and wrap this up, David. Uh, you guys have done well on the road, twelve and nine. I think this is uh, the third of your five games on the road before you head back to Portland. I, I just did off that off memory; that could be wrong. Uh, what do you anticipate happening Friday uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans? Should you lose this game, there's going to be a big jumble there from five to eight. But should you win this game, uh, you you just get closer and closer to locking up that fifth seed uh with just I don't, I don't know where we're where we're at 38 39 games to play it's it's time for somebody to start uh pacing themselves out in front of the herd i guess we should say what do you anticipate happening
3: ah, blazers are always be in the jumble i mean so if they if they win they'll have opportunities to fall behind and they'll exercise those opportunities and if they lose then they fall in line with i think it's uh denver's around there with them and the thunder and the jazz and pelicans are all kind of I think the Jets are a little further behind, but they're all kind of clustered in that spot where, um, as you said, someone's got to leap ahead, but I don't think it's going to be Portland. Um, it, it's one of those things. I was on a podcast um, a month ago, somewhere in there, and I think it was the Trail Cla- Trailcasters podcast, and they asked me if uh, I was panicking because the Blazers had lost five in a row or something like that. And it's like, no, you know, a 500 team's gonna 500 team. Like, I don't. I don't see them really leaping ahead uh, and and getting a spot where people are comfortable saying that they're you know the edge of the upper echelon. I think if anything, they'll end up at the fringe of the playoffs, which is where the scrum is currently taking place. All right, David, that's
0: all the time we have for today. Thank you so much to Daniel Salerson, who was on here earlier, and a big thank you to our second-time guest, David McKay, award-winning journalist and news editor over at Blazers Edge is where you can find him and his work. Of course, you follow him personally, at David McKay, N-B-A, that's M-A-C-K-A-Y, almost did E-Y, like Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Uh, David, we mentioned you may or may not be live-tweeting. Is there anything that you want our listeners to know about the Blazers in advance of the matchup?
3: Hmm. Watch Baz just because he's fun. He's a lot more talented than he gets credit for nationally. And I think people in Portland are really realizing how gifted he is. Um, watch for Nurkic to get under Cousins' skin. And actually, one of the things that Portland likes to do, we discussed last time even, is uh, put Myers Leonard out there just to mess with Boogie. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know uh, have a good time. Enjoy the game. Message me on Twitter. If I'm around, I'll respond. I'm always happy to talk ball. Um, Yeah. See how Damien does. I'm excited for him to kind of get back in his groove. Normally I like him to rest and you know, it sounds like he's done doing that. All right. Thank you for your time, David. We'll talk to you
0: soon. Uh, For now, you guys check back. We'll be back here on Saturday night with Kevin and Ali, our usual crew, but for now let's go pals. Thank you for listening to The Bird Rides on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, take one minute to go to iTunes, search The Bird Rides, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Let's go, pals!
3: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two
0: months in a row. Leave a message at the...